With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome back to the Liverpool Groove. It's a lovely day and I'm delighted to say that I am joined by LFC TV commentator John Bradley. How are you doing, John? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much for joining me. It must have been a long, long season for you. Must be uh, <laughs> glad to get a bit of downtime. Uh, it feels weird. I'm, I'm still working at the minute. Um, I'm currently doing a bit of. I'm actually watching the J League at the moment in Japan and doing a few games for them. So, uh, yeah. Oh, whilst the uh, the Premier League season has finished, uh, work hasn't finished for me as of yet. But uh, yeah. We're self-employed, so we take work wherever we can get it, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, first and foremost, congratulations, you know, 16 years now at LFC, LFC TV. How, how amazing is that for you? Did you think you'd sort of last this long? <laughs> no, I mean, to be honest with you, um, a long, long time ago now, um, I got a phone call one day. I mean, this is even before the days of, of LFC TV when... The club used to um, provide like a worldwide program, uh, and needed a commentator. Um, I I I'd been out of commentary for for a couple of years, um, and I wasn't really envisaging going back into it. Um, and they sort of like said, "Look, we need a commentator." This was like Thursday night, Friday morning, something like that. We need a commentator for tomorrow. Is there any chance you could come in and help us? And uh, um, and I did, and uh, I think I've done pretty much every game ever since then. It's um, it's crazy, uh, you know. Obviously, the longevity of it, j- just what I've been through, uh, both personally and professionally, working for Liverpool Football Club. I mean, you know, brought up watching Liverpool with my dad. Went all over the watching Liverpool with my dad, um, and then you know to, to work to work covering Liverpool. I mean. It's just the, the greatest job in the world, isn't it? And that's one thing that I, I think about every day, really, and, and how lucky I am to uh, to work there. I'd, I'd been very lucky previously in terms of uh, my grounding, my education as a commentator. Um, I'd worked uh, in the lower leagues, covering the likes of Hull and Grimsby and Scunthorpe. And then, you know, within sort of 18 months of starting, I got a job doing leads, and at the time, this is on the radio, like um, sister station to Radio City over in Leeds, Radio Air, and and I got you know just as Leeds were getting good when Leeds uh, got in the Champions League at the expense of Liverpool, when Liverpool lost at, uh, at Bradford in in what was it being two thousand, uh, David Weverell scored former Leeds player, and then so that was great, and I really enjoyed that for a few years. Then I was gonna. Uh, to be honest with you, I got a, a little bit disillusioned with it. Uh, and then, you know, when Liverpool come calling, uh, it was back at it. I, I just can't believe really that, you know, that was that was so long ago and I'm and I'm still doing it now. You know, I'm very proud and, and yeah, very, very lucky to uh, to be doing it. Yeah. 
like you say, you've been doing it a long time. Do you think it was only was only Liverpool could have brought you back? Do you think <laughs> otherwise would it not to happen? Do you think it, it, it's weird? You know, I, I mean, you know, just how some things fall into place. Um, my love of football had, had gone a little bit. I was working more on the business side of football um, and and the media side. And, I'm working more directly with players and things like that, and I was enjoying that. To be fair, and I was and I was very lucky to to work with some some great companies and some great players, and also I was able to continue it as well whilst working with Liverpool. So so yeah, that was really good. Um, but yeah, <laughs> had it been anyone else apart from Liverpool, I, I don't know if I'd have been uh, so quick to do it. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, at the time as well, you know, it's it the time of Rafa. It was the year that they went to to Athens for the Champions League final. It was just off the back of that amazing FA Cup final win over over West Ham, and you knew that there was something really big developing at Liverpool. And obviously, signing Fernando Torres was, was just gargantuan in terms of yeah. of what it got. I mean, though, even even now, you know, you hear the Torres song and and sort of like the hairs on the back of my neck stand up because it was just incredible. And the bounce and everything that went with it, and he was amazing to watch and, and, and things like that. So, to 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 be around at that time to to do the Champions League final, and obviously the, the game that they should have won that they lost, having won the game in two thousand and five that they should have lost but they won, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know. And then obviously nearly winning the league, and and part of me still thinks they should have won the league that year. Uh, you know, when they went to Old Trafford and, and, and Smash United. Um, and just the way they kept winning the games, and ultimately, you know, they, just, they just couldn't quite do it. And you thought these are these are incredible times. This is like the rebirth of Liverpool Football Club, having yeah. been through a difficult few years. Um, and then obviously, difficult period uh, would, would soon follow, followed by another rebirth. So you know, to, to, to the, there's been many many highs, and there's been a few lows along the way in terms of. You know where the team's been, but ultimately for me, you know, it, yeah, it's been uh, it's been fantastic to be uh, to be part of it. You know, listen, I know that people, you know, like some commentators, don't like others. I'm exactly the same. You know, there's some commentators on the telly that that when I hear them, I'm like, I don't really want to listen to you. But we're all like that, aren't we? So, you yeah. know, if people say to me, I don't like your commentary, I'm like, yeah, fine. It's an opinion. You know? So so I accept that. Um, and, and and you can't please everyone all the time. Uh, and I'm sorry to those people that don't like me. But I'm very, uh, as I say, proud that I've had so, uh, uh, yeah, the, the messages I've had down the years and, and the moments that we've, that we've seen together, you know, that they'll obviously hopefully live with us all forever. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think what working for Liverpool does does it help that you can sort of be a fan as you commentate. You haven't got to sort of you haven't got to be a bit subdued in things that you say or how you're reacting to goals. Like you're there yourself, you're there, Steve Hunter. You know, I think is corner taken quickly at Iggy. That's that's going to right. live on forever. But can I tell you? Know, you I'll tell and, you. Can I tell you the one line that I am asked more than any other? When people meet me and they say, "Oh, what do you do?" 
and I said, I'm commentator at Liverpool, you know, commentator on Liverpool game. They say, oh, you're the corner taker, quickly, guy. And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not. And I would never, ever claim that because Steve Hunter's line there is, I mean, his commentary there is is one of the greatest pieces of passionate broadcasting I've ever heard in my life. Steve lives for Liverpool Football Club. Um, he's been there longer than me. He's an incredibly good guy. His knowledge of the club is is way beyond mine. Um, you know, his work day in, day out with the academy lads and the way that he follows them and all their progress. Incredible guy. And um, yeah, is it possible to be jealous of someone you work alongside? Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, so I could never lay claim to, um, to, to that line. I wish it was me. Uh, and, and that commentary is so iconic, you know. That you know the players have it had it on the phone as, as ringtones and, and message tones and things like that. And you know they all know it. So so yeah, uh, I, I would never. Uh, yeah, I mean I've had a few that I like myself, but yeah, I've never had a corner <laughs> taken quickly, have I? It's uh, you'll you'll get one. I'm sure. <laughs> so when when I think of yourself commentating on Liverpool, I always. I immediately hear you and hear Gary Gillespie. He's mm. the one that sticks out for me when I think of yourself. What what's it been like working for with Gary for a lot of the time? I mean, you're talking to someone who was who was born in the seventies, who grew up in the eighties and, and stood watching Liverpool. Used to get um used to get a bus with uh, with my mates and uh you know, um and with my dad and that go to games and, and so I grew up watching Gary Gillespie playing football. I grew up with Ronnie Wheeler, you know, watching Ronnie Wheeler and people like that. So then to be sat alongside him, commentating on the the current crop of Liverpool players is is uh, it, it's pretty mind blowing. Um, and I think it affected me at first because you're like, like you're my heroes, like you're absolute icons, and you sort of like. It, it's weird because, like, I'd been over to Leeds and I'd worked with, like, uh, Peter Lorimer and Norman Hunter. You know, we were the greatest players in, in Leeds history. But because I wasn't from the city uh, and because I wasn't someone who grew up watching Leeds a lot, I only knew the stories about them. And, and also, they were a little bit before my time as well. It's like you respect them, but you didn't idolise them. But then you go to Liverpool and, and you know, there's... there's um, Gary Gillespie and Ronnie Whelan and people like that in all the time and, and then when I worked on Radio City with Ian St John as well you know I mean that that just staggering and and, and it, it does take some getting used to what I would say though is is anyone and anyone who's who's met Gary will, will confirm this that Gary Gillespie is the nicest man on planet he is just just got such warmth about him and uh, so personable and you know, it, it's like I went through. I went through some difficult time with me, uh, my little boy, uh, when he was born a few years ago, and, and Gary's support and, and and friendship then, you know, was incredible. And yeah, he he's a great guy, and and it's really funny because I we're, I think we're at the stage of our relationship now where um, he's quite happy for me to take the Mickey out of him. So I found uh, someone put on Twitter the other week. Um, I think it was eighty seven. Was it 87, the 3 3 game with Man United, where Liverpool were 3 1 up and Gillespie had scored in the game. And um, 
And then he was at fault for certainly one of the Man United goals when they came back to 3-3. And I was on the cop that day. I remember that game really, really well. Now, obviously, I didn't remember Gillespie being at fault, but uh, it was quite nice to be able to highlight it and go through it. Because obviously, we we, we go through, you know, with, with the microscopic detail, what's going on in, in the Premier League and Champions League and stuff like that now in, in the games that we watch. And, and Gary will call out bad defending. I mean, it's his job. That's what he does. But so I quite like calling out moments <laughs> I see where Gary's up some bad defending. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant person. Brilliant human being. I know it it, it, it it sounds trite and, you know, sometimes it might sound a bit blase. People say, are you just saying that? Was, no, Gary Gillespie is a genuinely good person. Um, and obviously, he's, he's brilliant in what he does. Um, and he really should, I mean, yeah, he would he would grace national TV. Uh, Liverpool are very lucky to have him on, on the channel. He's, he's a brilliant fellow. Yeah, I think I think it's amazing he, he doesn't get more work elsewhere. Mm. To be honest, but you know that's that's our gain as as Liverpool fans, I suppose. You know, like you say, he's absolutely brilliant and he's so insightful. And I think I, again, that's a little bit before my time, the eighties and things like that. But I think Gary Gillespie stands out as one of those who's was probably maybe a little underrated as a player. And mm. maybe it's the same for his, his commentary and punditry work that he's maybe not sort of looked at. But, you know, if the bar is Gabby Agbon Ho, <laughs> he's, he's cleared it 10 times, hasn't he? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Listen, there's some absolutely terrible pundits out there right now. Um, some pretty poor co-commentators as well. The one thing that, that I would say um, is... I like people who turn up with knowledge and having, you know, learned the game they're doing. Uh, so often you hear people turning up to do games and, and, you know, when you get there, I'm talking away from Liverpool and Gary here, but you know, when you've worked elsewhere, they, they don't know the names of the players, they don't really know what the teams are up to, what they've been doing or what's been going on. And then they just like comment, you know, provide their analysis, co-commentate on the game and, and Listen, I think we can all name the ones that we we hear doing that, and it's uh, it's not great for the viewer because I think the problem is now is you could get away with doing that in the eighties and the nineties, but now we've we've all got so much more access to information and, and news and, and statistics and stuff like that. So you've got to be you know you've got to be on the ball, as we say. You no, know, you know, everyone's under the microscope now when when they come out with something. You know, if I get a stat wrong and stuff. Within seconds, someone tells me I've got it wrong. So that's it. We've all got that that access now. So you've got to just don't you just don't use them now. Just don't use stats and facts because then yeah. you can't run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one way around it. I mean, I see the likes of them, like Peter Drury and things like that, and the amount of notes they have for every particular game and like every inch of paper is just covered in in stats. Is is that are you putting that amount of work into the games as well? Yeah, we all do. Uh, we always have done. Um, we're quite lucky. I don't know. Does everyone know the secret about the access of of commentators' notes that, that commentators actually have? Is that a big secret? I don't know. I don't know if I'm breaking <laughs> confidence here. Um, normally, there's about 30, 40 pages of notes available for every Premier League game, um, if you're lucky enough to... Uh... Yeah, so, listen, you do your own research, um, which can take a long, long time. You've got to be sort of head down in your office, buried for uh, a couple of days, because you don't want to miss anything. You, you know, 
the most minute thing could come up in a game. And if you've got a, a reference to it, it, you know, obviously it's good for the viewer. You don't do it for yourself. I think sometimes, I think sometimes people use it as a tool to make themselves sound clever. I think so. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. You know, say, look at me. I've done. I've got all this research. I've got all this. It's like, yeah, it's all well and good doing that, but you got the fella's name wrong. Yeah, well, so I I run another podcast as well, which is based mm-hmm. on MMA. Through that, we interviewed a guy, I'm not sure if you've heard of him, called Michael Chivello. Right. Um, he's a really well-traveled broadcaster in, in that field. And he said, one thing he said to me was that he, some of his, like, so we mentioned Steve Hunter at the corner, taken quickly, that was clearly spontaneous. But mm-hmm. he has some things that, he would plan to say in case it happened. Mm-hmm. Is that is that something you have as well? Is that something you no, do? No, no, completely spontaneous. I, th- I think, I think, I think some commentators do have have pre-prepared lines, um, and, and for them, that it, it might work. I think the, the the spontaneity of saying what comes into your head at that that vital moment. Peter Drury never. Has anything scripted, right? Now, I know Peter. I've worked alongside him many times out of the years. He's he's brilliant at what he does. He's a he's a wordsmith. He really is. I mean, you know, if you said to a young commentator, "Listen to Peter Drury and try and be Peter Drury," don't because Peter's unique. He's you know. His vocabulary, his range is incredible. The way that you know he can pluck historical references and, and stuff like that. Listen to him, learn, but don't try and be him. Just try and be yourself. Um, so, but yeah, some some commentators have pre-prepared lines, and, and it works for them. I never have. Um, I you know even like even um, even when Jordan Henderson lifted the Premier League after all those years. I spent a long time trying to think, should I write down something to, to have ready? Um, and I sort of like was, was, was thinking, don't balls this up. You know, it, 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 it's the, the moment that the club have waited for for years. And it's it's something that obviously will be used for, for, for many years to come. Um, so, yes, you've got that. You, you've got that, that thing in your head is yeah, you you want to make sure you, you get it right, but then I, I think had I written it down and tried to, it would have sounded scripted. Some people can yeah. make it. Some people are really good. People are good actors. You know, you watch you watch the great actors. You don't realize that they're reading the script. You think that you know what you're watching is real, and that's why yeah. they're so good. Um, so yeah, I'm not good enough at reading to make it sound genuine. I think is the best way to put it. Fair enough. Um, so I'm not clever enough. <laughs> I, I, I'm respectfully disagree. Uh, <laughs> so obviously this season for Liverpool hasn't been the best. Um, but one game that does stick in the memory is that seven nil over Man United. What what was that game like to commentate on? Like with within the context of the season at the time as well. Why does that stick in the mind? Why is that remember? Why does that stick in the memory? <laughs> um, 
thought Man United started okay. I thought Liverpool were a bit slow in starting. Um, and I thought it was when you got to half time, you thought, yeah, done, done all right here. Um, game on. And it was good because obviously there'd been, you know, a few poor performances and, and obviously it had been generally disappointing from the start of the season. And you're looking for you know, something to clutch at to, to carry you forward. And then the second half, obviously, whatever clicked, whatever tactical alterations or whatever was said, that was completely different. Liverpool in that second half and, and, they just absolutely blew Man United away. I thought Man United's players let themselves down um, in the, you know, in the midst of battle, in the in the face of an absolute onslaught that was coming their way. I think that character-wise, they weren't great. Um, but hey, you know, ask anyone who's inside Anfield away from that little section in the Anfield Road and um, if they care about that, and no one will. Uh, just everything seemed to go right. It, it's strange, isn't it? Because, you know, you had a 9-0 and a 7-0 in the season, and you're like, yeah, it was a disappointing season. Um, you could have, yeah, maybe saved a couple. Uh, listen, it, the one thing that, that you'd say about it is that Liverpool smack Man United at home regularly now. You know, they've, they've given them some, some proper tonkins uh, over the last few years. So it was no surprise that Liverpool beat them and beat them well. I think it was just a surprise that they, they went, they got seven and you felt like Man United had done well to only lose seven nil. You know, you actually came out thinking, unlucky not to score 10 there. I really could have scored 10 there. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think Man United will ever let that happen again. So I think that's the the way to look at it is that it was a a unique night, a special night, one that we'll uh, we'll probably never see again. And uh, you know, one of them games that, that that I mean, I was at the Forest game in in you know in the back of the late eighties, the, the legendary game, and it was you know the game he came away from, and you couldn't you were like wow, what have we just seen there? You know, and I was like. 13 at the time, something like that. Um, and I think that any young kid of a similar age, and that's how I try and remember, like, for, look at things now. I, I try and think, what would I think coming away from that game? You know, it's like, just done my job and I'm going home now. And it's like, whoa, some game. But if you actually think about it as, what would you have thought when you were 13, 14 coming away from that game? I mean, you'd want to go to every game every week for the rest of your life, wouldn't you? Um, yeah. And I think that's that's the best way to look at it. Is it's like the moment in a young young person's life, a young boy and a young girl, anyone who was at that game, will just like be like, "Well, I was at the seven 0 against United." Like you know, you live on that for years. Yeah, absolutely. Now it was it was a shock, and then then you know to do that and then go on the little bad run that we had after it. Mm-hmm. It's, it was just it was the story of the season up until the last few weeks, wasn't it? Really. Yeah. Um... I think, I think given what happened last season uh, and how close they came to, you know, the ultimate in, in, in success, uh, it was always going to be difficult this year. Um, and obviously, with the injuries that they got so early, 
you knew that it was like, this is going to be a proper scrap now. Because you've gone from this all-conquering team with, you know, Luis Diaz absolutely ripping it up from from signing until the end of the season and, and, and Sadio then playing centre-forward, you know, and everything, no matter what happened, everything seemed to work obviously, until the last couple of games and things like that. And then at the start of this season, you're like, right, now we've got, and this is no disrespect, by the way, to, to these boys because they've both got massive futures in the game. But you've got Harvey Elliott in the middle of midfield and then you've got Fabio Carvalho having to play on the left-hand side. And then you're trying to sort of like move pieces around this board because you're constantly losing players to injury. You know, and then, and I think that that's one thing that we should always remember in, that in this but the one constant that always seems to be there is Mohamed Salah and, and his ability to play every game is, is quite astonishing because while other players are, are suffering from injuries and missing games here and there, he's always there. But it was it was difficult, wasn't it, at the start of the season? And then obviously when you towards the end of the season when you when you started getting Jota and Diaz, I mean miles away from where they will want to be next year, but just the fact that they were back there on on the pitch and 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 around the rest of the group as well, I think would have given everyone that that massive lift that they needed. And, and you know, it, it, it's a shame because it, it was a season where you look at the injuries to them, you look at the the absence, long term absences to the likes of Cater and Tiago, where you knew that it was absolutely pivotal that those two stayed fit this year. And, and obviously, they had a lot of injury problems that you were sort of like again looking around and and and, and Trying to fit pieces around and and change things around and uh, fair play, you know, to to create that that role for for Trent to change things um, because Trent was getting an amazing amount of stick, you know, he was getting hammered. This is incredibly talented young football player who's who's only seen the highs of the game. I know obviously he's lost cup finals and lost out on leagues and stuff like that, but you know. Incredible journey for him, and then this season obviously found it found it difficult. The leaking goals and stuff like that, and everyone was was at him really, and that, that came off the back obviously of his difficulties with England as well. So yeah. to come back the way he did at the end of the season, I think shows a young man of an immense character who's got great belief in himself, both mentally and. Uh, in his ability as well. Um, and I think that moving forward, one of the biggest challenges in football is, is reinventing your team. Um, I think that's what Ferguson did so well at Man United for all those years. You know, the way that a new team would be assembled and, and they'd go on to win things. I think Manchester City have done it well um, last couple of years. And listen, you can talk about money and, and everything they've got at their disposal, but they do sign well. You know, when you sign a Kanji and people like that for the money and Alvarez for the money, that they, you've got to respect that. Yeah, you can say, oh, you've got Jack really for 100 million and this, that and the other. But they do it well. And, and that was Jürgen's big test. And I thought it was really interesting because I've done the Champions League for, um, oh, crikey, more years than, I, than I, I remember now. About 13, 14, 15 years I've been commentating on the Champions League for away from Liverpool. Um, so I watched that Dortmund team develop, and then I, I, I was I did the final that they got beaten, 
when Robin scored uh, late on after Gundogan had, had scored for them. And you knew it was a really special team. And it was like Jurgen Klopp's this special manager and everyone embracing him and everyone loving him. Um, and he upsets referees, you know, with, with Dortmund. He was upsetting UEFA and the odd person now and again because of his passion, his fire in his belly and, and everything. You were like, wow, this man's like the best manager in the world. You absolutely love him at your club. Little did you think he'd end up at Liverpool a few years later. Uh, marriage made in heaven, by the way. Um, yeah. And you, you saw that team break up, that Dortmund team break up. And it was the one thing that was always levelled against him that he never rebuilt that team. And, and obviously, subsequently, he left the club and moved on. I think that's that's a bit unfair. I think given time, they would have sorted it out and, and got themselves you know, back to where they wanted to be, uh, but ultimately, that the, the ending of that relationship was uh, Liverpool's game, wasn't it? Yeah, that's it. Um, <clears throat> so outside of, of Liverpool, um, I believe you're involved with uh, the Icon series. Mm. Um, yeah, very, very. Lucky. For those who aren't aware of of that, what could you just give go into a little detail about that? Yeah, um, a few years ago, a, a, a good friend of mine who um, was a former football agent, was, was tasked, shall we say, with uh, putting together a, a group of footballers to play a, a golf event in Las Vegas and uh, put it together and, and it worked really, really well. That was before I got involved and, and then had an event in, in Dubai as well where he was based at the time. And then in 2017, we when I first got involved, we had the icons of football golf event at the Belfry on the uh, you know the, the iconic grabbers on course and, and we put together great names of uh, of current and uh, and past players who you know, be a great game to play in and you know the, the names rolled off the tongue when you've got Gabriel Batistuta rolling into town and, and playing in a, a it was in England against the rest of the world side and then obviously you had um, James Milner playing as well Um and then, uh, and it worked really well, and 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 the the crowd that we had that week loved it. And then we went on to have a, a rugby based event to coincide with uh, Rugby World Cup a year later, and that was down at the uh, uh, in London. And again, that was the Buckinghamshire Club, and it and it was great. And then we were having an event the year after in Japan, and. Um, we got to Japan and a super typhoon wiped out the golf course. So we just ended up having a week in Japan. But then we had the pandemic and, and everything was really, really hard. And we, we managed to come back last year with um, a, a new format, really, the Icon Series, which is um, going to be a, a travelling global event. Uh, the first event was at uh, Liberty National Golf Course in uh, New Jersey, right next to the Statue of Liberty facing New York and Manhattan. I mean, it's the the, the, L, the women's LPGA event was there this this last few days. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's an amazing golf course itself. But I mean, the backdrop is New York City. So yeah, to be out there working on that. And it was the USA versus rest of the world. People from all sports coming together. Uh, you know, James Milner played again. James loves it. Obviously, he loves his golf. Uh, yeah. I'm really lucky. I've known him since he was 15. So, you know, well, that really, but Harry Kane played and, and then we've, uh, Ashley Barty is the, is the current 
Wimbledon and, and Australian Open champion, and then the USA team had these just amazing people from the NFL, the NBA, uh, the NHL, and Major League Baseball as well. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I work within the media side of that. That's my day job now. Uh, that's what I spend most of my time doing uh, when I'm not commentating. We've got uh, events coming up to tie in with the Formula One this year in Abu Dhabi. Then we, we go to Portugal and we go to Japan and Las Vegas. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's growing amazingly. And, I mean, listen, when I talk about People like Harry Kane and people like you know they're, they're already firmly involved in some of the talents of uh, from the tennis world and Formula One uh, who are playing in Abu Dhabi. Uh, yeah, it, it, again, it's one of them touch yourself. You know, you've got to touch yourself really to, to you know. I stood at the top of the Empire State Building with, with Harry Kane, and um, you don't really expect to be in that position, do you? When you're a young lad, when you're a young lad growing up on the estates, and, that, and uh, yeah, very very lucky, you know, I've been able to to travel around the world with it, and uh, we're looking forward to it. You know, the pandemic, obviously, like, like for so many, nearly wiped us out. So to be back now and and, and to be moving ahead um, with some really exciting times for the Icon series, just really, uh, yeah, just just yeah, it, it's brilliant to do. Yeah. It looks, I mean, it looks brilliant. I haven't had the chance to see any of it myself, but I, I did see a post with, um, I believe Canelo was involved in. Was Canelo, in yes, yes. So, um, what a lovely guy. I mean, I'm a massive boxing man, um, and uh, I'm looking forward to being at Olympia next Friday night. Oh, Friday night, Friday night, Olympia. Yeah, um, I'm going over to uh, the boxing at Olympia Friday. I love my boxing. Uh, Saul is um, is quite the character. Um, Small in size, absolutely huge in stature. When you actually get near him, there is 50-person entourage. But, I mean, <laughs> when you do get through, by the way, again, one of the most gentle... I, I don't know how many people know Saul Alvarez Canelo, obviously. Um, obviously, he's like one of the greatest boxings ever seen. And um, you, 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 obviously, when you've come across a lot of boxers down the years, they're, they're quite larger than life. And, and so, like, they, you know, they're not all like Tyson Fury, obviously, really. So, like, louder. Yeah. But, but he's really, really quiet. And, and he's quite shy. And and he's like, you ask him to do stuff, and he's like, oh, yeah, of course, yeah, I'll do that. No problem at all. Yeah, if you need anything, just you know, And you're like, wow, you know, I'd love to work with this guy every week. And, yeah, yeah. very, very humble. Uh, very humble man. And... Uh, yeah, really nice man as well. It was a real pleasure to work with him. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a testament to the Icon series that you are able to bring in people like Canelo, people of that stature. So Yeah, you know, it's only going to get bigger as well. I mean, some of yeah. the some of the names that we've got playing in the next 12 months, uh, yeah, are, uh, are the biggest names in, in US and, and global sports. So we've just got to tie it in with the, the different seasons. Um I mean, Pep Guardiola's played played in our events, and, and uh, yeah, it's quite funny because we had um, we had Pep uh, at one of the and James Milner, and yeah, we just had to. Oh, and we had the funny thing was is we had Pep and Harry Kane just after all the Man City Harry Kane stuff had 
blown up and not happen. So we sort of like had to strategically make sure that they weren't they were photographed <laughs> away from each other. They were sat next to each other and stuff like yeah. that. I mean, <laughs> now hopefully, I mean, it does continue to grow and you know becomes a, a massive event. Um, mm. but no, glad that's going well. Um, one of my questions I did have was about you commentating outside Liverpool. Obviously, you mentioned you're going to be commentating on some uh, some Japanese football. Is it is it harder to prepare for games in leagues like that? Um, I've done so many down the years that when you first start uh, a new league or new teams or things like that, obviously you need to learn them. And, and with the Premier League, it's easy because there's so much information available for every game that you do. Um, for instance, at uh, the weekend, um, I did a, a J-League game and uh, I did a team that I'd never done before. And obviously, what you normally do, I, I did a lot of the Swedish league and, and, and prior to that, the Russian leagues. And, and I mean, Listen, it's dead easy when you do the Bundesliga, Serie A uh, and La Liga and things like that because obviously there's so much information. When you're doing the Japanese league and you, you you put in on Google, you know, the two names, you might get sort of like 10 results and it's pretty random and, and from like weeks ago. So you've got to actually then put the names in in Japanese right. and then translate it and find the stuff. So that's quite hard. Um, I became a bit of a, a Russian language expert when I was covering Russian football, which I really enjoyed and got to spend a lot of time in Russia um, out there. And yeah, all the leagues that I do, uh, really enjoy it. It's different, you know. I think that the Premier League is such a, a massive machine. Um, it, 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 it can take away some of the innocence of football, if, if that's right. Yeah. You know, like with what the Premier League is now, this massive global commodity. Um, and I think when you go and do the Swedish League or something like that, you, you get a little bit of because you don't know the you don't know the league and, and you're learning the places and, and be appreciative of the, the players and stuff like that uh, and the journeys that the the they've been on and they're going on. Um I think I think yeah I think that you've got more of an, an innocent view of 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 it rather than the Premier League's amazing you know obviously it is what it is um, it, it's this monster uh, that that is eating up everything be, before it because of the the way that it it's marketed and sold around the world and and everyone wants to be in the Premier League and you talk to the players you know in the J League or Sweden or, or there was a time in, in Russia where every player in Russia wanted to move to the Premier League um, and, and and that's because it's the place that, that people want to be and, and listen on, a, on a, a side note from that you know if you talk about people talk about immigration and stuff like that, people coming to the country because we sell this country globally we sell our football globally and we say look this is an amazing country and our football is the best in the world and no surprise people want to come in you know but that applies in 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 every 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 facet of life doesn't it yeah absolutely. that was a serious one <laughs> um have you been surprised by the standard of football in some of these other leagues you know as you mentioned premier league is the premier league Bundesliga, and all things like that we know about these but 
like I've I've seen a little bit of Swedish football myself when I was over there and things like that. And I think sometimes, like you say, we do sort of we forget how we I think we take for granted how big the Premier League is and yeah how I love, I love football is. I love finding a player, um, a young player, and then. It's quite, the, the football's quite a, a small industry. Um, so you, you come across, obviously, uh, heads of recruitment, sporting directors and stuff like that. And and I even now, you know, I've been doing it for years, I'll um, I'll text a sporting director if I watch a game and see like a 16, 17-year-old lad in Sweden looking incredible and text him and go, just watch blah, blah, blah. What a player, by the way. And, he'll, and, and within like five seconds, I'll get his life story back to me. He said, yeah, we watched him in the, watched him in an under-14 tournament three years ago. And it's that's that, that's like the deep level of detail his football clubs have. But me, um, me, me great one was, um, I was telling everyone about the boy at Eintracht Frankfurt, Lindstrom, about four years ago. And uh, he's going to get a massive move soon. So I've still got my little one. I remember... Um, it was really funny actually when I was doing the Russian Premier League and that that was around the time that the Russian Premier League was massive when Zenit beat Liverpool and Liverpool played Angie and Ruben Kazanabi and they were doing really well in Europe every year and obviously they had like Hulk and Axel Witzel and, and all these big name players so back then there were loads of money in Russia and the players didn't really want to come here and then obviously you had players who then wanted to come uh, obviously Zinchenko came from Russia because he was playing for, for Ufa out there Um and then there were other players desperately trying to get over to, to England. Obviously, that fell by the wayside because of what Russia did and, and sanctions and stuff like that. But now it's like the Ukrainian players. Like two years ago, I was I was phoned from a friend in Ukraine and said, like, Ilya Zaban, he wants to, you know, chance of him moving to England. You know, is there anyone you can talk to? And obviously, he nearly went to a couple of teams. Um, and, and eventually, he's ended up at Bournemouth. So... It's a yeah, these players, uh, you know, even when they're 15, 16, there was a boy. I watched a boy who was 16 make his debut last week and uh texted a, a yeah, a head of recruitment. And again, he knew all about them. These people, like, you know, you know, you say, like, oh, such a team is watching X player, and you're like, oh, that's interesting. But what you don't realize is they've been watching them since you were like 12 because yeah. they've got access to all these video scouting systems and. And all these games, and it's like they're watching hundreds of players on a, a weekly basis. The scouting system now is is incredible. I mean, the games are good, but that's 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 the the global beast that that the Premier League is. Yeah, I don't think we fully appreciate yeah. how much work goes in behind the scenes. Like like you say, uh, probably if if you see someone from a club at a game watching a player, that's probably one of the last steps of mm-hmm. of them watching that player. So it is in, it's incredible. Um, and they've already, thinking, they've already spoken to like probably 50 people about the boy's mentality, yeah. about the culture of his life and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, sometimes it's not even bothering to go and watch the player in, in the flesh. And a lot of clubs obviously still do, but it used to be that managers would go and watch games, wouldn't it? And, and then they'd decide, obviously, now it's sporting directors, heads of recruitment, stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's fascinating, really. Yeah, well, I was speaking to um, David Raven a few months back, mm-hmm. and he's um, he's developing a program similar for um, non-league uh, mm-hmm. K two performance. It's called so the fact that 
that level of the game is going to now start getting the benefits of that as well. It's it's going to take football to possibly the next level, I think. Um, I mean, you've got so many non-league players now who are playing like sixth tier, so like Conference North. They've all got agents now. Yeah. And these these boys are on a you know, few couple of hundred, few hundred pound a game. But because they want to get up to the next level and, and they want someone to to keep pushing them and, 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 and fair play to them for for doing that. They, you know, everyone's aspirational, aren't they? And, and everyone should follow the dreams. It's you know, it's what they it's what we're here for. Yeah. And I think we're seeing more and more that these players, if given the chance, can make an impact at a higher level. You look at uh Kelly Ruddock Mapanju has just come up with Luton, run mm. the conference all the way to the Premier League. He's great he's story. That it can be done. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Um, last question then, John, before I let you go. What does for you, what does the ideal transfer window look like for Liverpool? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Because <laughs> it can be used against me in a court a lot now. Um <laughs> I think that obviously losing the players that Liverpool have lost um, means that that it was always going to be a, a very active window. I think we've seen already, and even in this this early stage. I mean, the, the window's not technically open, is it, for another uh, what week and a half or so, yeah, something like, like that. Month, um, but not officially. Yeah. Um, but already, I think teams are, are already putting the the as we like to say the pieces into place, um, and, and it looks exciting, doesn't it? Um, Those. I think losing Firmino is, is massive. You only need to look back on his influence that shows he's not irreplaceable, but he's as near to irreplaceable because he was the system, he was the yeah. man. Um, so, so maybe that this is all part of the the the, the regeneration of this Liverpool team. It's going to be a different sort of setup that we see. Moving forward, we've already maybe seen the, the the first signs of that in in Trent moving to areas and the way that they're playing. Um, and I like the way that Cody Gakpo's starting to develop. I think that he 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 looks really exciting. Wouldn't surprise me, you know, maybe if they they looked at adding someone else in there, particularly if, if one of the younger players moves on as well. Um, I think that midfield's obviously the area. Um, yeah, losing Millie. Um, is massive on and off the field. Uh, I'm certain that wherever he ends up on the South Coast, uh, in blue and white, uh, <laughs> <laughs> will um, will benefit from from him on the field and off the field. I think he's still got loads to offer, uh, and and the way that he, yeah, the way that he is uh, in the dressing room will help that whichever team he plays for. Serious on a serious note, moving forward. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I I don't think anyone can sit here and say this player is going to be the right player because we don't know that. There's people paid a lot more money than us. Uh, I like the I like the fit of uh, of the players that you see talked about. You like sort of the way that they have developed their careers and and the way they're they're moving forward. I think that it's going to be a little different this year with the Europa League. Um, I think that Jurgen Klopp will want to win it without a shadow of a doubt. You know, yeah. don't even get into your head that he's not going to go out. And, he will want to win that, and I don't think it's it's not just because it's it completes a set. I think it's actually he wants to win everything. 
and then that's the sort of man he is. And while we might see younger players, you know, young, exciting talent like Bacetic, you know, hopefully when he comes back as as fresh and fit as he was when he came in last season, we'll see them playing a lot of the early games in the Europa League, which then allows you to to focus on the the Premier League and things like that. So, yeah, it, it, it's an important year, I think, um, on and off the field moving forward. They will want to, to stupid, stupid comment. They'll want to get it right. Of course, they'll want to get it right. Um, but the amount of work that's going into getting it right is 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 incredible. Um, and that's why these people are are doing the job that they are. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I, managed to, but... I managed to duck that question completely, didn't I? <laughs> you answered it in a roundabout way, but we'll <laughs> take it. <laughs> um, thank you for your time, John. Really appreciate it. Oh, um, best of luck with everything concerned with the Icon Series. Um, and can't wait to hear you again next season on, on LFC TV. Yes, for your sins, unfortunately, you will hear me again. <laughs> listen, I'm, 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 listen, I just want to say, I get so many messages on, on social media and, and people who, who who I've met as well down the years as well that have said so many nice things. And, and it does mean the world, you know, to to be appreciated. We do this for the fans. We don't do it for ourselves. Um, you want to be able to relay that, that moment. And Barry Davis once said to me, he was my absolute hero growing up and I was very lucky to meet him and, and sitting gantries alongside him and he said, people don't give a, a stuff about 99.99% of the things you say on a commentary. It's that 0.1%. If you can get that moment right, then you'll, you'll have done a good job and, and hopefully down the years we've we've managed to do that for the fans. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I can guarantee and I've always enjoyed listening to you on LFC TV. As I say, you bring um, you bring that that passion into it that you don't get with your standard commentators. And I think I well, I don't know if I speak for every Liverpool fan, but everyone I've ever You won't speak to, for every Liverpool fan. <laughs> <laughs> no. I I mean I hope I don't anyway do a lot of pressure. No um as I say can't wait to hear you again next season. Oh, yeah. and, uh, Thanks and, mate. Um, appreciate that. Best of luck with everything. Thanks for your time. Really appreciate that mate. Podcast Network.